Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Man Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? Um, Not much. Uh, it was kind of a crazy week for me uh, trying to navigate um, the, these games because I, I decided to go home this week thinking uh, to visit my family. It was my mom's birthday and Father's Day. Um, but thinking that uh, the game was going to be on Sunday when I booked that, the Colorado game that they decided to switch just a month ago. So um, it was kind of crazy. I was covering a Timbers game on MLS Live, listening to the Colorado announcers mispronounce Valeri and Espria's <laughs> name. And I could not believe how many times they mispronounced Valeri's name. I, right. I don't like, know how you're an MLS announcer. You know, like, like Daryl and Espria, you know, if you don't know, uh, if you haven't done the research in, in, into the game and haven't prepared for it, Dairon Espria, like you would sort of understand because it's not like he's a household MLS name, right? Um, he's, he's sort of a part-time starter for the Timbers. He's been kind of in and out of the league. All right. Diego Valeri? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like uh, he's got a credible case to be like a top 10, top 15 all-time yeah. MLS player. Uh, like you've got to be kidding me that, that, that you're mispronouncing Diego Valeri's name. And it's not like it's that hard. It's an easy yeah. one. Come on. I mean, we're not asking you to uh, pronounce Vitotas under Skevishis or something like that. I mean, give me a break. Um, so, yeah, that's that, that's crazy. I mean, that, that is wild, and it and it just belies a total like lack of preparation, right? Uh, if you're mispronouncing Diego Valeri's name. What was it like, Valari? What were they saying? I think it was like Valari. I, I can't even remember now. I feel like they mispronounced it in different ways, like multiple times. <laughs> but I think Valari was maybe what they were going for. It, it, I've seen... Um, just an anecdote. I've seen Jake Zivin and how much he prepares. He has a Jake has this whole um, little Velcro thing that he's created where he can like uh, put little put the names down of all the starters and then switch it out with the subs. And he has like the pronunciation on there and uh, a bunch of stats and things he could say about each individual person. And then the next game, he can switch it in and out. He he puts a lot of work into preparing for other teams, and I think it shows with how Jake Zivin does uh, as a broadcaster. But man, to see uh, <laughs> what it put. Sure, it's not everywhere around MLS, but to see what another MLS team's announcer's preparation clearly was. Uh, I, I cannot imagine there was much preparation that went into that. Since we're starting off with the Jake Zivin Love Fest, uh, on that same uh, vein, uh, I think Zivin, like one, maybe the most impressed with him I've ever been was uh, in preseason, the Timbers were playing the Sounders and they did sort of that, uh, the thing where they had Zivin and, and then I can't even remember which one, but one of the Sounders broadcasters in any event. Um, and it, it was, it was sort of the third 30 minute segment of the game. And so both teams just had like T2 S2 trialist types in there. And Zivin's like in there, like dropping facts about like S2 trialists, uh, Sounders trialists and like, and like S2 players that even like the, the Sounders broadcaster was like, Oh, I didn't know that. Um, which, yeah, I like, I, I think that speaks to exactly that. The, the guy prepares like crazy. Um, and, and, and gets stuff right about, uh, guys that are expected to be on S2, uh, whereas other broadcasters in the league, I don't, don't know how to pronounce the names of future hall of famers. So, um, that's where we are. And, and, and I think it is fair to say we are blessed in that regard in the Rose city, uh, with a very, very good broadcaster in Jake seven. Uh, okay. Lots of soccer to talk about this week. So let's get to it. Uh, all of which was in one form or another called, uh, well, not I guess all of the Timbers action was in one form or another called by Zivin. Uh, let's start out with that U.S. Open Cup game. Similar sort of broadcasting arrangement uh, with Zivin and, and and the Sounders broadcaster uh, calling the game together. Uh, the final score was Sounders 2-2 two, two, uh, and Timbers 2-1, going back to the same convention from last week, uh, with 2 being spelled T-O-O, because I think think I am clever in ripping off jokes from other people. Uh, our predictions, generally okay. Uh, I, I called a 3-1 loss with a Jeremy Obobese Golasso. Uh, Obobese did not have the Golasso. I, I you know, got the game-ish kind of generally correct. Uh, the results certainly score close. Uh, so that's that. Uh, you called a 4-2 loss. Uh, Marco Farfan, two assists. That didn't happen. Uh, split your scoreline in half and you would have had it on, on the nose. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think pretty equivalent, uh, both of us get, you know, like 6.371 points, uh, I think is fair to say, uh, for the predictions. What do you think about, about that point allocation? Yeah. Um, we both, we both, uh, 
figured out that the U.S. Open Cup run was going to end pretty quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, and indeed. that's about about all we all we got for the most part. Yeah. Uh, so now sitting here in, in hindsight on on Tuesday afternoon uh, evening, I, I, I suppose it's now fair to call it uh, on, on the longest day of the year. So it doesn't really feel like evening. Uh, in hindsight, do you think the Timbers should have put more into this game? You know, I mean, it, it was the way the Sounders approached it, or, or at least the way they did, pretty obviously a, a, a winnable game if the Timbers had, had thrown some starters into that. Uh, I think the, the counter-argument to that, though, is that if the Timbers had done that, the Sounders also probably would have done that. And so it, it would have likely become a bit of an arms race. Uh, so what do you think? In in hindsight, should the Timbers have put more into that U.S. Open Cup game uh, and, and tried to get on to the the round of 16? Or or tried more meaningfully, I, I should say, to get it? Because it's not like they were throwing the game, right? They, they were trying to win the game uh, just, you know, with basically t- Timbers 2. Uh, what do you say? I, I got a few comments after the Colorado game saying, you know, look, this is proof that uh, the Timbers should have thrown these players out on Tuesday. Why do we rest them if this was just going to be the result? And I think that's an unfair way of looking at it to say in hindsight, given that the Timbers lost to Colorado. Sure. If the, if the Timbers had known in advance that they were going to lose to Colorado, which, which that was not their goal at all, uh, especially against a winnable road, a winnable road game like but, that. But do you think that point exactly raises questions about the clarity in Gavin Wilkinson's crystal ball? <laughs> I mean, like, like if he's looking into that being like, all right, if we don't play, you know, if this, then this, uh, don't you think that raises uh, about his clairvoyance? Does he really, can he really tell the future? And if he can't tell the future, should he be general manager? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that crystal ball is a little bit foggy. Um, so <laughs> Gavin Wilson's going to have to like uh, clean up that crystal ball and make sure it's super clear. Um, yeah. No, I, I think there was no way other than what the Timbers did to approach this week because they, their goal was to get a win in Colorado. The goal was at minimum to walk away with a point in Colorado and they had to throw their best players at that game. If that was going to happen and there's no way to know, uh, there was no way they could have predicted that um, their best players were going to have a terrible second half. We'll, we'll get to that later and and blow the game in Colorado. Um, Given the personnel that the Timbers had, and I think it's important to know had Jack Barnby been, healthy had Darren Maddox been healthy um had guys like that been healthy had Chance Myers been healthy they would have been in this game though that's the Timbers second string those are the players they would have thrown out in U.S. Open Cup uh because those guys needed minutes anyways and would probably be used only in a substitute role um if at all in Colorado those guys weren't available so the Timbers either had throw their starters at this game sacrifice Colorado which is an MLS game it's an important game. It's a game that they have an opportunity to pick up points on the road, um, sacrifice that game or throw essentially a TTT two team out um, and see how it goes against the Sounders. So I think the Timbers did what they had to do. I am, am not upset at Caleb Porter for going that route. I think it made a lot of sense. It's just disappointing as we'll get to later that it, it ended up not working out at the end of the week. The the plan that they were going for, uh, it didn't ultimately pay off. Yeah, I, I think the last point you made there with respect to the, the, the team availability is the most important. And and that is, look, they, you were right. They basically had a choice. Do you play MLS starters or do you play basically T2 guys? I mean, for example, who were the Timbers' two sort of primary attacking options off the bench in Colorado? Jeremy Obobese and Victor Arboleda. Who started the U.S. Open Cup game? Jeremy Abobasi and Victor Arboleda. Uh, I mean, the, the only guy that, that you could sort of look at and, and say, hey, maybe that guy could have played uh, in, in the, uh, the, the, the game in, in Tequila is maybe somebody like a, an Amobi Okugo. But remember, the Timbers weren't even entirely sure that, that Roy Miller was going to be able to play in Colorado. And, and so there was every possibility uh, that if they had started Okugo in, in, that, uh, in that U.S. Open Cup game in, in Tequila, that they may have turned around then and said, Oh shoot! Roy's actually not ready to go. We've got to bring Imobi back and have him play now uh, in a game at elevation on short rest after after playing a, a full ninety minutes, or you know, goodness forbid, uh, if it had gone to extra time, maybe one hundred and twenty minutes uh, on a really terrible surface. I, I, that is not where the Timbers would have wanted to be going into that Colorado game. And so we sort of went down through the decision tree last week, and I still think, you know, I mean, hindsight being what it is, uh, I still think that's a that's an utterly defensible way to go about. Uh, how you approach a game uh, like that 
on the road in the first round of Open Cup against another MLS team, that makes perfect sense to me. And, and, and uh, you're right. The way the Colorado game turned out, uh, it's certainly disappointing. It's certainly frustrating. Uh, but I don't think that necessarily casts doubt on specifically the, that U.S. Open Cup decision. Uh, the way the Colorado game turned out was in a 2-1 win uh, for the Rapids over the Timbers. Uh, our predictions, uh, not so hot on this one. Uh, I called a 2-1 win for the Timbers over the Rapids uh, with a Darlington Nagby Golasso. Um, zero points. Uh, you called a 2-0 win for the Timbers over the Rapids with Diego Valeri and Fernando Adi goal each. Uh, zero points. So, zero points. Uh, question from Michael from this one, and I think this, uh, the, this you know, no holds barred just gets to the point. Uh, straight and direct. Are the Timbers soft? What do you think? I, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I mean, they clearly didn't have the right mentality in Colorado. I, I don't think that's some, a problem we've seen in every single game. I, I think they're a lot tougher at home. I, I think they maintain the right mentality and they go out with uh, the idea that they're going to win um, when they're playing at home and they've done a lot better. It, it's a tough league going on the road, to be fair, but the Timbers clearly didn't have the right mentality in that second half. They clearly... Um, allowed themselves to be too complacent and that does speak to kind of the culture within the team to some degree that's something that cannot happen um Caleb Porter said the team has to have a killer instinct and that was definitely lacking uh in the Colorado game and, and he pointed out it's been lacking he feels on a few road games in the Dallas game where they twice held the lead and, and then ended up selling for a draw and against Columbus where they had opportunities um, to get the result there and ended up uh, posting their first loss of the season back in March. Um, the, the Timbers need to be better at seeing games through, especially when they have the opportunities to win. And that comes down to mentality and a feeling that you're going to pull it out and win and uh, not both having the, that winning mentality and also not getting too complacent and thinking the team's going to hand it to you. And um the Timbers didn't do that in Colorado. They took the early lead. They had a dominant first half, and then they kind of tried to coast in the second half, and they let Colorado take it to them, and uh, Colorado hurt them. Yeah, to say Colorado hurt them, I, I, I think might even be a little bit of an understatement. <laughs> um, my answer to, to Michael's question is, with respect to the Timbers on the road, yes. That is my answer, yes. Uh, and I, I think that answer is supported uh, substantially, <laughs> extremely, uh, by the recent record. I mean, you, you you highlighted the game in Dallas. I thought they played very well in that game, and in many respects, they did. That was a good result. Uh, they also, as you noted, gave up the, the lead a couple times. Uh, you had the game in Columbus. That's a while ago. So, you know, a, 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 again, like th that's a little bit of a tough game, but, a, you know, they gave up the lead. Uh, but for me, I mean, the, the more damning ones, in addition to this Colorado game, in, in which I, they were very soft in the second half, they were terrible in the second half. And, and given it's, it's a really, really hard place to play, right? Uh, there's a reason why the Rapids, I think, an unquestionably bad team. Uh, they've played six road games. They've won zero of them. They've drawn zero of them. So if you're good at math, six minus zero minus zero equals six, which means they've lost all six of the road games. They're five. Uh, they're they're five two and one though at home. Uh, they they they've won five, drawn one. Uh, they they've taken 15, 16 points out of their eight games uh, at home. And so obviously, Dick Sporting Goods Park is a bit of a, a, a of a home field advantage for the Rapids over and above, frankly, what any any other team in MLS has. But look, they were terrible in that second half. After controlling the first half, which by the way is exactly what you'd want to do in a game in which you're playing on the road uh, at elevation. You want to control the game. You want to dictate the tempo. You want to be patient. Uh, you want to make the other team run. Uh, and the best way to do that is by holding the ball, by making them uh, continually play defense. Uh, you're going to be able to conserve some energy, and you're going to make them uh, exert a little bit more. And so the Timbers set up that first half perfectly in order to get the result at Colorado. And then they blew it. They were awful in the second half. They were terrible. It, it was arguably the worst half of soccer we've seen from the Timbers this year. And that's saying something. Because we have recently a 4-1 loss in Montreal to a Montreal team that's not, like, that good. You've got a 3-0 loss down in San Jose. A San Jose team, by the way, that is not good. 
and really isn't even all that great at home either. It's not like uh, they're a team that's blowing folks out uh, in a Via Stadium or something like that. Uh, they're they're a, a very accessible team there too. Uh, a team certainly that you would ex- expect the Timbers to be able to hang with at the very least and be in a competitive game. That game wasn't competitive from the gun. So are the Timbers soft uh, on the road as I, I, I slightly adjust Michael's question? Absolutely. And, and, and that's, you know, a mean thing to say, but it's also true. And so, you know, to the extent the Timbers don't like it, they got to prove something otherwise uh, because they have been soft uh, on the road. They've been good at home. They've been very good at home recently. And, and, and that's no small thing. But, you know, as we found out last year, you can't just rely on your home results to get you where you want to go. And especially if you want to do more than just sort of squeak into the playoffs, if you want to do more than, you know, get the fifth or sixth seed in the Western Conference, they're going to have to win more than the two games on the road that they've won to date. And uh, based on what we've seen from them uh, in the last couple of months, I don't see any reason uh, to think that they are ready to win more games on the road. Uh, Jake Gleason uh, on the Timbers' first goal, and I think this is one that's uh, that's worth, uh, uh, the first goal conceded, I should say, excuse me, that's worth sort of breaking down a little bit. Uh, but Jake Gleason gave up another semi-howler coming off his line. This was, this play was like ridiculously similar to the, the goal that he gave up to Ola Kamara uh, in Columbus, the, the game that you referenced just a bit ago, uh, in, in which there, there was a, a long ball through on a counterattack. Uh, in this case, Dominique Badgie ran onto it on the corner of the box and, and Gleason was coming out, didn't get there, didn't really even get super close and, and, and Badgie chipped him and scored. Uh, do you think this is a long-term concern? And if so, how big of a concern is it for you? Yeah, th- this is a concern, uh, concern for me. I, I think Gleason has shown that he is one of the best st- shot stoppers and he can be one of the best shot stoppers in the league. Uh, and when you're purely talking about shot stopping, he's been great for the Timbers, but his decision-making has not been good. I think his distribution of to, for the most part has gotten better, but his decision-making has still lagged behind it. And that's an important part of goalkeeping um, because I, that's a goal that may not have happened had Gleason not come off his line and not basically ended up in no man's land with the putting um, Colorado in an easy situation to chip him and score um, that he's a professional goalkeeper and he's seen this happen before. He's seen that mistake before he's I'm sure watched the Columbus video and, and seen what he did wrong. He shouldn't keep making the same mistake. Um, and, and it just comes down to make the decision-making and, and, and being smart in that moment. Uh, so it is enough of a concern for me that I, I think it's relevant. I think it's important to talk about. And I think this is a time and I'll be interested to see what the Timbers do in Minnesota. I think this might be a time to give Adonella an opportunity if for nothing else to push Gleason and remind him, Hey, you worked so hard to get, uh, this starting role. Um, but if you keep, if you keep making big mistakes, if you can't improve your decision-making, if you can't get better on the field and correct these mistakes, it's your position to lose. And so, yeah, it is enough of a concern for me and seeing it happen twice, seeing almost the exact same play. And when it comes down to just a mental error, that's something that should be corrected. Yeah, I, I think uh, that last thing you said is the most important. The fact that it's happened twice uh, this season is pretty discouraging. I, I think that's really, really frustrating for the Timbers uh, for that to be the case. I mean, it, it's a ball in the corner of the box, uh, to the corner of the box, and sort of the rule, if you want to make a rule about it, it's not nearly this cut and dry, and it's a game that happens fast, and and, and, and those are all fair things to consider. But the rule uh, from those is unless you have an amazing jump, uh, unless you know you, 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 it's a ball that you know you're going to be able to get to, if it's at the corner of the box and you have help, which he did, both in the form of Zarek Valentino, although he was trailing the play a little bit, and uh, in the form of Lawrence Olin, if you've got that, uh, that help, don't go out. Because if, you, if you're going to go out, unless you've got that amazing jump, you're not going to get there. And if you're not going to get there, then you're just making the the chance so much easier uh, for your opponent than than it otherwise needs to be. Uh, you know, it, it was it was going to be a dangerous situation uh, in any event. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, you know, Badgie very well could have uh, picked out a corner uh, if Gleason had stayed home, or maybe he could have threaded a crossover through to Josh Gatt 
who then would have been in a really nice spot. There was some traffic that the Timbers had uh, that would have made made that a difficult cross. But look, I mean, he had help, and 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 Badgie wouldn't have had a lot of time to sort of pick up his head to choose the right option there. And so, in light of that, I I mean, my goodness, I mean, it, it, if you're gonna come out, you got to be sure about that that play in particular when it's all the way on the corner of the box. And here he clearly wasn't. He didn't have the jump that he needed uh, in order to make that play. And, you know, here we go again. Deja vu all over again. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a reasonable point you make. And we'll talk more about this in a minute. Uh, but that's a reasonable point you make. Uh, that this Minnesota game may be an opportunity to, to stick Jeff Ananella in there and, and put a little bit of a shot across the bow of Jake Leeson and say, hey, look, you're a young goalkeeper. You're developing. We understand there are going to be mistakes here and there. But when you're making the same mistake over again, that is more concerning. And that is the time in which we've got to start considering whether you really should be the number one. Uh, Injury report time. Uh, It's not as significant uh, as it has been, I don't know, like last week. Uh, But it is still, there are still a few players on it nonetheless. Uh, Liam Ridgewell. What do we know about Ridgewell's status uh, going forward, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a, a mystery that he's not going to be available at Minnesota. It doesn't even sound like, based on Twitter reports today, that he even traveled. Uh, what do you think for Seattle and, and, and farther out from that? Yeah, Caleb Porter said that he won't play uh, versus Minnesota and he won't play versus Seattle. Um, the expectation at this point is for them to get him back in uh, early next week after the Seattle game, and, and so that would put him at maybe – um, being, being available for the next match, but you never know where fitness comes into that. And you never know how a timeline might change. So for right now, he's out for the next two games. And especially from a Leland Ridge role, it's disappointing because these injuries, as I think we'll get to more and more, uh, this season. And I think we'll continue talking about this. Uh, they're adding up, um, and not having your captain on this the field this much, uh, is not ideal. Darren Maddox. What's the update? Um, Maddox, um, I was trying to remember now, um, (laughs) (laughs) he will be available in Minnesota. Um, just had to go back in my brain and remember what Caleb Pollard told me. Um, you do have a lot, you do have a lot of injuries to cover this week. So, uh, so I think people are going to give you a little bit of uh, a slack (laughs) on this one. Um, he will be available in Minnesota, but Caleb Porter said he wasn't sure on how many minutes he'd be available to play. He, he clearly is not ready to start, but because he plays in the type of position where he can come off the bench, um, it does look like he'll be available off the bench. It, it's just a matter of how many minutes uh, they can possibly get out of him. Jack Barbie. Barbie is out for Minnesota, but Porter said his hope is that Barbie will be back in training at the end of this week. Uh, it was really up in the air for Seattle, but he does appear to be a little bit ahead of Ridgewell in terms of the timeline, but it's really unknown whether or not he will be, come back with training maybe Thursday, Friday, and whether he could actually be available um, off the bench or something for Seattle. Fair to say, do you think the most we could see from Barbie then is sort of a Maddox-like maybe a 10 or 15 yeah. minutes off the bench uh, against Seattle. Is, is that about right? Yeah, I wouldn't expect any more than that. All right. And then Chance Myers, what do you say? Um, Myers is back in training, uh, so that's a good sign. But he's been out for over a month. I am not sure the exact amount of days at this point, but it's been a very long time at, at, at this point. So the Timbers are going to be putting him probably with T2 for the next couple of weeks, uh, giving him a chance to race up his fitness. And, and then after that, he might be available for the first team. But for now, it's just for him building back up that fitness. And because he plays in a position uh, as a defender where you're going to expect a 90-minute performance out of him, it, it, he just can't be available for the first team at this point. Uh, is there anybody that I missed? I, I, I feel like I sort of have to ask that because they're, <laughs> like it's been changing so much over the course of the last few weeks. I'm not entirely sure. No, I think I, I believe that's all. Uh for now. Okay. Ho- hopefully nothing else comes up. <laughs> uh, the David Guzman, of course, will be coming back into the team in Minnesota. Uh, he, he was, of course, out on international duty, and, and then he was suspended for yellow card accumulation at Colorado. Uh, that is all clear, though. Uh, he is back in, in the team and presumably will start uh, against the Loons, uh, which leads to the next question, which I think is sort of the big question going into this game. In light of the fact that it's a midweek game, it's a traveling uh, away game, they have a big game. Uh, on Sunday back here in, in Portland. In light of all of that, uh, in light of the congestion in the, in the schedule and the travel and yada, 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 what kind of lineup uh, can we expect from the Timbers? Do, do they have that many options, even if they wanted to rotate uh, a bunch in this game? 
Yeah, I mean, Porter said they don't really have many options in the attacking side if they want to rotate, given the injuries. So I wouldn't expect any rotations really um, to that attacking group at all, um, except uh, as I'll get to, but except potentially Espria coming off uh, and Nagby moving um, more into a winger role with Guzman coming back. Um, but they do have some options to rotate defensively, and Porter indicated that there would be four to five changes uh, from the Colorado game to the Minnesota game. Obviously, one of those is Guzman coming back on. Um, but Porter expressed a lot of disappointment, specifically in the mentality and, and complacency that he felt uh, his defensive group had in that Colorado game. And I think in, he indicated that he was going to give some guys the opportunity to win their spots back, to to prove that they deserve to start. Um, and create a little bit of tension in the team where, where players don't feel as comfortable as maybe they felt uh, last week that they're going to maintain their starting role. He, he wants to create some competition because he doesn't feel like the mentality was right in that second half of Colorado. So I expect um, there to be some significant changes on the defensive side. I, I absolutely expect Farfan to come on and Pal to come on at the outside backs. I think those are obvious moves given that both those guys have been starters this year. I, I think the question marks are whether they rotate Gleason uh, and bring in Adanella. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I, I think as we just talked about that, this might be the time to sit Gleason and, and kind of show him, Hey, if you don't perform, if you don't learn from your mistakes, uh, Adanella is right there on your tail. So I think that would actually make a lot of sense for the Timbers to do that. That's not a position that you always need to rotate, but uh, I think given uh, Gleason's big mistake last game, it would make, uh, a ton of sense. And, and then I think at center back, it's a little bit more of a question because the Timbers don't have a ton of options, but I, I think a uh, Mobia Kugo is an, is an option. Uh, if Caleb Porter feels like he needs to make another rotation there, maybe Olam comes off. Um, if he feels like he needs to kind of send a message, uh, to even more players on the back line. Um, I, I think that's a rotation that could happen as well. Yeah. yeah I mean, Roy Miller, frankly, I thought was one of the guys that played pretty well in Colorado. Uh, I, I thought that could have gone south even earlier for the Timbers if it weren't for uh, some a handful of really good plays from Miller uh, in, in that second half. The one question I have for him, though, is he was carrying that foot knock into that game. Uh, and if that's something that's still lingering and maybe he played it less than 100% uh, in Colorado, I wonder if he would be able to come back uh, on sort of short rest at, at, at Minnesota. Obviously, uh, the Timbers are going to need him again on the weekend. And if there is a question about that, I, I think you could see a rotation there, even if it's not necessarily one uh, that's sort of performance related as much as it, as it is sort of health related. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's a, a pretty good, uh, a pretty good bit of reporting there for, from you. But I, I mean, that, that seems like that makes sense as far as if the Timbers uh, do want to make some rotations for this game, do want to sort of send a couple of messages, which I think is a fair way to put it. Uh, those are the rotations uh, that, that you would expect and, and that would seem to make sense uh, c coming into this game. Uh, you know, so, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I think, you know, in the attack, the options are still fairly limited by, you know, I mean, Maddox would be a guy that you would say maybe he gets a run out in this game. And even if you were healthy, I think you'd probably say he probably gets a run out uh, in this game and that and the, the Timbers might try to save uh, at least one of their wingers uh, for, for the game, uh, uh, you know, to, to put in a full performance in the game on the weekend. Uh, but I, I, that's not really an option. Maybe they, they stick with an Espria, uh, over a Nagby or maybe over a Blanco, uh, just to, to give at least one of those guys a little bit of a shorter shift in, in, in Minnesota, uh, to, to have him fully ready to go on the weekend. But, you know, I mean, short of that, uh, I, I don't think you'll see much, uh, different in, in, in the attack for the Timbers. Uh, on Wednesday. That is Wednesday, five o'clock. It's a little bit of an early game because of the time change, uh, central time in, in Minnesota, but five o'clock uh, on Wednesday for Timbers, Minnesota United. Um, and yeah, and then after that, the Timbers are going to play the Seattle Sounders for like the third time in what, three, four weeks or something like that. Uh, that right now is slated for Sunday at 1230, but the Timbers are looking into, uh, based on something Merritt Paulson said on Twitter today, uh, they're at least exploring the possibility uh, of a time change on account of heat. Uh, right now, it, it's, it, it is forecasted to be somewhere in the ballpark of 97 degrees, uh, although tw a 1230 kickoff would put them a little bit before the warmest part of the day, which tends to range between like 3 and 5 o'clock here in Portland. 
that is nonetheless a hot day. Uh, and the challenge there is not necessarily that it's a hot day uh, sort of in the ambient air. Uh, because if it's going to be 97, maybe it'd be upper 80s or low 90s uh, through through most of the game. Uh, but the real challenge there is, is that uh, the one sort of, I, I think, Achilles heel of the Timbers uh, artificial turf surface is that it gets really, really hot uh, when it's is specifically in the sun. And, and that's what it looks like it's going to be on Sunday. Very, very sunny. Very, very warm. Uh, and, and in that situation, if it's 90 uh, in the ambient air, it, it is often well north of 100 uh, on the field. And that is when you're talking about uh, conditions that are not ideal, especially for two teams, frankly, uh, coming off of short rest weeks uh, in which they've both been, uh, they've both had to travel. Uh, they've both had mid midweek games. I think when you take tired legs and you put them on the field in sort of extreme conditions like that, that is a recipe for a pretty terrible game. Uh, when in, in, in fact, I, I think you would like that one on, on national TV to be better than that. Uh, so keep so keep your eye on that, I, I think it's fair to say. I don't know which way they would go. My hunch is they wouldn't play at like 9 in the morning. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I mean, in order to get out of the heat, they would obviously have to postpone it pretty significantly. And that's a challenge uh, when you're talking about a national TV game. It's been done before. Uh, it happened a year or two ago in a game against San Jose. So it's not without precedent. Uh, but it is a, a, a possibility. A few questions. One from John. Uh, that I think gets a, maybe goes a little bit back to what you were saying as far as the lineup options in Minnesota. At least potentially, you may be able to distinguish it a little bit. Uh, John wants to know, do you commit the rest of the season to Zarek Valentin at right back, or is he just a placeholder until Alvis Powell regains form? I think the Timbers want Alvis Powell to be their starter. I think they see him as a player that has significantly more upside than Zarek Valentin. I think they brought Valentin in even originally um, as a depth piece. And I think that's their expectation. He's performed well in, in some of his starts. I think he's done pretty well coming in for Powell overall. Um, but I, I do think the Timbers goal is to hopefully maybe send a message to Powell and get him to perform up to the level they think he can and get him back on the field. Um, and I, at some point, if, if Powell isn't at the level they want him to be, then yeah. Um, you can't just keep starting someone if you can't, uh, if they're not going to perform, uh, how you want them to, but that's the expectation. Valentin's here is depth and it's not to be the starter. Um, but if Powell doesn't earn it, Caleb Porter's not going to just give hand it to him either. I agree. So, so you think Alvis will be coming back into the team in Minnesota, uh, which certainly makes a lot of sense given rotations you would expect. Do you think that is just a matter of sort of midweek rotation? Uh, or do you think that is a matter of saying, Alvis, here's your shot, win your spot back? I think it's a matter of saying win your spot back. Uh, Caleb indicated that he would be making some rotations and giving guys the opportunity to win their spot back. Uh, I can't think of anyone uh, that fits that more than Powell. Um, we'll, we'll see if that's the case, but it's, that's the obvious answer for me. And I, I think that this is a game that Powell, even if it wasn't to send a message, it would make sense to rotate anyways. Um, but Porter clearly wants to send a bit of a message. And I think if Powell rises to the occasion, yeah, we'll, we'll see him back in the lineup. Curtis wants to know, and, and this is a really good question. So we're going to sort of take it a little bit one at a time. Uh, but of the following players, what are the odds, the chances use, I guess, percentages, because that's what people understand. And by people, I mean me. Uh, what are the what are the chances that each of the following players is going to be a timber next season? Number one, Liam Ridgewell. I'm going to go with 30% chance um, that he'll be a timber. I, I think I, it's getting, the percentage is getting higher and higher the more time he spends off the field that, that he will be going away. Um, the timbers put a lot of money into Ridgewell. They think highly of him. There's a reason he's their captain and they believe he's a good leader. They, he's a good locker room presence. And um, what he brings to the field um, is what they need. But at the same time, I, I think he's had some up and down performances and, and he's been out so much this year after being out a significant amount of last year with injury. And he's just going pro- to, as, as he gets older, the injuries aren't going to go away. Um, so I think it, with the second injury happening and the potential of missing at least three games, we don't know if it'll end up being more. Uh, we don't know if he'll stay healthy for the rest of the season. 
I think the more and more you see him sidelined, the less likely it is that the Timbers are going to continue dedicating that amount of money uh, to a player they can't rely on to consistently be in the lineup. That is a that may may be your hottest take in soccer made in Portland history. Um, that that is a pretty hot take. I, I think there are good reasons for it, um, but that is nonetheless hot. I'm going to go sixty percent, uh, just because I think there's a lot of uncertainty here, and and I think there's sort of a a bias of incumbency that that maybe tips me over just onto that side of fifty percent. Uh, I think the factors you, you you stated are absolutely correct. Uh, I think those are totally reasonable uh, points, and, and I think that's why there are very serious questions about this. Uh, but there's a, the other reality of it. Every, it sounds like, I, I don't know this for sure, but everything that's ever been reported certainly makes it sound like this, that he's on a guaranteed contract for next season. Uh, he's not, at his age, a guy that you would really expect would be, you know, a guy that they would be likely to transfer somewhere or that somebody else would, would want to bring him in. Maybe it's, maybe there's a, a, a team in the English championship or something like that uh, that would sort of take on his contract. Uh, that that certainly seems like a possibility, but but it doesn't seem like it, it would be an obvious possibility. And so there's a reasonable chance that if the Timbers wanted to part ways with Ridgewell at the end of the season, they would need to use the amnesty clause. Uh, and the question is whether the Timbers w- will be able to. You only get one shot, right? That's a one-shot gun. Uh, and if there's something like with a Benga or Okoyo, uh that the Timbers need to use that on b- before they'd use it on Ridgewell, uh, then that might not be an option. And, and so I think in light of his, his leadership ability, which the Timbers very clearly identify him, regardless of what people may think about his social media presence, the Timbers very clearly rate him as a good leader. Uh, in light of the fact that, frankly, when he is on the field, I think he's still a good, not great MLS center back. Uh, and, and, and the fact that getting the, that parting ways with him may be tricky. I'm going to go just a little bit on the North side of 50%. I'm going to say 60% chance Ridgewell stays. Okay. Number two, Fernando Adi. Am I right to say his contracts up at the end of 2018 or is it 19? No, no, uh, that is 2018 is correct. Yeah. Yes. So I'm going to go with 50%. And I think it has to do somewhat with that contract. I, I think the Timbers would like uh, to keep Adi and they do have him for one more season. Maybe um, they could look at transfer him later down on, on down later on down the road. But I think because of that, the Timbers won't necessarily want to transfer Adi mid season if he's been playing well and they're uh, potentially fighting for a playoff spot. They wouldn't necessarily want to bring in a new striker midway through 2018 that has to adjust and might not perform immediately. And they also don't necessarily want Audi's contract just to run out and not get any money um, from transferring him. So I think it does make a lot of sense to transfer Audi at the end of the season if they don't think they can keep him longer than 2018. And based on past experiences, it seems like Audi's goals are not to stay in Portland for the long term. Obviously, whatever issues the Timbers had, Audi and the Timbers had last year have been worked out. He he seems bought into the club this year. Um, but it does seem like his goals are to play in Europe ultimately down the road. And uh, so I think the Timbers aren't going to want to transfer him, but I think it might make a lot of sense for them to transfer him this offseason. That's exactly the number that, that I was thinking of as well. I think it's a 50-50 possibility. And I think it's a 50-50 possibility between one of two things happening. Uh, either the Timbers and the Audi reach a, a contract extension agreement uh, in, in in which they agree to extend out beyond next season his contract uh, or the Timbers transfer. Uh, because I agree with you, uh, I if I were the Timbers, I would not want to be feeling like I was in a spot next summer uh, where I had to move Audi in, in the middle of the season. Uh, and, and if I wasn't able to extend his contract and he, and he was coming back next year, that's exactly how I would feel next summer because the worst possible outcome here is to get sort of one more year uh, out of Adi and then have him walk on a free uh, at, at the end of his contract. And so uh, I think it, it's going to be 50-50 uh, between uh, whether they ultimately extend uh, Adi out the, the, the summer and, and, or this winter, excuse me, and hey, look, you know, it's notable that those transfer demands are, are in the past, and it's notable along with that fact uh, that Fernando Adi uh, is being paid significantly more this year. Uh, if Adi turns around and says, you know what, I kind of like it in Portland, and hey, if you're willing to pay me this much money in the future, I'm willing to stay too, uh, that may be something the Timbers very well could be interested in. 
and, and, and that may be an agreement that they could find. Uh, if Adi, uh, as the Timbers unquestionably will, uh, when the Timbers go to him, uh, if Adi says, you know what, I, I, I want at some point in the next year or two to, to go back to Europe and to try my hand there, then I think it's overwhelmingly likely the Timbers would look to make that move happen o- over this offseason. Uh, and I think, it, frankly, it's probably pretty even odds uh, as I read it between the one of those two things happening uh, the, this winter. Um, let's see, where were we? Oh, yes, Benga Arakoyo. What do you think? I'm going to go with 15% chance that he stays. I'm a little bit up in the air on this simply because I'm a little bit up in the air on Ridgewell. And if Ridgewell leaves, maybe they want to keep Arakoyo because they want to have another option uh, to be a starter at center back. Maybe they bring in another player as well um, or or look to potentially do that. Um, But he has been here now. maybe not a full year and a half, but this season and part of last season and has essentially been injured the entire time, uh, except for preseason. And he hasn't had a chance to prove himself with the team. And I am leaning towards it. I think the timber is more likely, uh, given that he is making a significant enough salary would just as well go in another direction at this point. He hasn't been healthy. It just seems like one of those things that just hasn't worked out and you move on, um, and find someone else that maybe can fill that role. Um, the I, I think I'd have it lower, um, the possibility of him coming back. And the only thing that's maybe raising it up for me to even 15% is that I'm not sure about where Ridgewell's going and whether that would potentially mean they'd want to keep Arakoyo, uh within the team. So I'm going to go lower. I'm going to say 5%. Uh, and I actually think this is a little bit independent of Ridgewell. Uh, and, and, and it's not independent of Ridgewell insofar as I think he would be sort of option number one. If the Timbers need to use amnesty on him, he would be option number one to amnesty. The reason why I leave sort of a, a sliver of hope, a, a, a little ray of sunshine, uh, is that I think there's a chance that, it, you know, if his recovery from the Achilles injury goes well uh, and, and all of that, that at the end of the season, he may sort of look around and say, look, my value is really bad right now. Uh, and if he's willing to take less money, if he's willing to be a guy that's, you know, maybe between $125,000 and $175,000, something like that next year, uh, in order to try to get out there to earn a spot and to play and, 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 to, and to increase his value, uh, I could see him doing that. Uh, I, I don't think there's a good chance he's going to do that. I, I think there's about a 5% chance he's going to do that uh, because I, I think that's basically the only way the Timbers – would not part ways with him by any means possible. Uh, and, and so I'm going to go ahead and say 5% uh, for that reason on Arokoyo. Uh, here's a tricky one. Uh, a guy that we've already talked about quite a bit in the show, Alvis Powell. What do you say about Alvis? I, I, I will go with 60%. I think, I think it's more likely than not that Alvis Powell will be here. I think if he just can't earn his spot back this entire season, um, he's just not coming to the, getting to the level where the Timbers want him to be and, and Valentin essentially starts the rest of the way, then yeah, maybe they decide the experiment with Pal is over and he's just not going to be the player they want and his inconsistency is a detriment, but he's not making anywhere the amount of money uh, that some of these other guys we're talking about are. Um, he's still young and we have seen glimpses of the player he can be and I think the Timbers are committed to trying to develop him. Um, I, I think it's more likely than not he will be with the team next year. Uh, but I, I think it is a little bit on him uh, to ensure that by, by not putting himself in a position this year where he just gets completely relegated to the bench and the Timbers don't have faith in him anymore. Yeah, I'll say 75%. And, and that is the what you just said is, is the scenario in which I could see him going. If he just never makes a serious run to win his spot back, uh, from Valentin, I, I I can't see the Timbers keeping him around, uh, and, and so you know, I mean, I I think that would be a reason why the Timbers may just cut cord. But look, I mean, if he uh, even at least is sort of like competitive with Valentin, look, he's 22 years old. He's the age of most MLS rookies. If you had an MLS rookie who was pushing to be a starter on a at right back on a good team. And was making, you know, I, I think Powell's cap hit pretty consistently comes in between, you know, somewhere in the 150-ish thousand dollar range. If you had an MLS rookie push it, like pushing to be a starter for 150 grand uh, on, on, on a team at, at the age of 22 at right back, you'd keep that guy, right? 
and yes, Powell's been in the system longer. And yes, there have been certainly frustrating moments when it comes to his mindset, when it comes to his development and all that. Uh, but there is still unquestionably unexplored potential. Uh, and there is no question that there would be another MLS team unless he just totally went into the tank this year, which I think is a possibility. Uh, but unless he just totally went into the tank this year, uh, there would definitely be ML- other MLS teams that, that would say, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. We want to have a go uh, and, and give that a shot and see if we can get uh, that that bit of upside out of him. And so uh, I, I think the Timbers at his budget number uh, that he's been at in the past would be more than willing as long as he's sort of in there and competing uh, and, and, and is still a viable part of the team would be more than willing to bring him back. And I, I think that's by far the most likely uh, outcome by, by the end of the season. I mean, it, it is 75%, so that's that. But yeah, I mean, 75% is better than the other three guys we mentioned. So there you go. Um, Okay, Thorns 1, Sky Blue 3. Boy, we did not see that coming. <laughs> uh, our predictions, I called a 4-1 win for the Thorns. Uh, <laughs> I just realized what I called, and I... Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This was early in the week. A lot of things happened after this. Uh, But I called a 4-1 win uh, with the Christine Sinclair Golasso. Remember, I was Golasso's all around. Seba Blanco (laughs) kind of had one. Um, (laughs) I'm certainly not going to give myself the AZO part of that, but I I, I will note that Christine Sinclair did score a goal. Uh, But 4-1 was like literally the polar opposite of the way this game went. Uh, Jamie, you, you called a two zero win for the thorns, uh, with the Tobin Heath assist. That's an easy zero points for you, right? Uh, I, I don't think there's any argument to be made for any points there. Um, I'm going to give myself like 1.93 points for, you know, the sink thing, uh, because she did score a pretty hilarious penalty. Yeah. Uh, any, any objection there? 1.93 points for me, zero points for you. (laughs) Neither of us covered ourselves in glory. (laughs) <laughs> no, we didn't. A uh, question from Jack that I, that I thought got to this pretty well. Uh, is the scouting report on the Thorns now an open secret? Is everybody just going to press the Thorns hard and try to aggressively disrupt uh, them, especially in central midfield? What do you say? Is, is, I mean, is that is that the playbook? I don't, I don't know if that's the playbook. I, I think the Thorns are a team that's generally good at adjusting. I, I think they weren't terrible uh, against sky blue, but they were not good in, in some big moments and, and it cost them. Um, I, I think they're a team that's going to adjust. So if they think that there's a playbook on them, they're going to adjust to fix that. And I think they have the talent to do that. So I, I don't know if this is going to be the same thing we see every game against the thorns. I don't think all the teams have the personnel uh, to do that as effectively as sky blue did. Um, and and I, I think it's just going to, that was a, game at home for the thorns i think it changes a game on the road game at home what personnel other teams have i don't think the thorns are as i don't think the thorns are that predictable as a team i i think that other teams are going to have to continue to adjust to them and i don't think that sky blue suddenly opened up the secret uh to beat the thorns yeah i tend to agree and even if you know they did find something to 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 exploit i I mean, in light of that happening once, I would be really reluctant to sort of jump on that that wagon uh, at, at this point. That's not something that we've sort of seen chronically with the Thorns. Uh, this was just the Thorns' second loss of the season. Uh, it's not like this has been happening to them week in and week out. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to sort of jump on, on, on that wagon just yet, I, especially when you have somebody like Nadia Nadim out. That makes sense as a way to go about the thorns because you can sort of question whether they really have that much ability to sort of just play direct. But look, I mean, with the way the game played out, I mean, it it, it wasn't sort of on balance. If you were to look at the expected goals, for example, it wouldn't say expected goals, sky blue three, thorns one, right? I, I mean, the thorns generated a good number of chances. They did not put away also a good number of chances, a lot of chances, uh, but you know, I mean, it, it was a game in which the thorns were relatively competitive and frankly, I mean, for extended periods of it, uh, they were sort of in the, the most Caleb Portery way imaginable, the, you know, better team on the field, yada, yada, yada. Um, that said, I mean, there are some things that I, that I think are fair to be, to sort of make mental notes about coming out of this game uh, for one being, uh, you know, obviously, uh, the thorns ability to, to, to sort of, 
the, the Thorn's ability to, to, to sort of manage those counterattacking uh, in instances uh, when they were pushing numbers, uh, and, and in particular, the, the job that, that, that Sonnet and Mengus did in, in, in managing the counter it was bad just in the second half. Gave up two goals on the counter, uh, neither of which did, did either of them uh, cover themselves in glory like us on the predictions. Uh, and I, I think that is something where you've got to say, okay, you've got to be able to manage that because we are going to have games in which we're going to need to push for a goal. We are going to have games uh, in which the, those fullbacks are going to have to bomb on. Uh, and they have to be able to, uh, to, to to manage some of those circumstances. And then they didn't do a good job of it uh, against Sky Blue. So that's something to, to, to sort of note. Uh, when they are without Nadim, who scored an awful lot of their goals this year, where are goals consistently going to come from? Uh, and, and, and whether they have sort of the finishing chops to be able to, 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 you know, manage when they have, you know, Tobin Heath out, when they have not done deem out, when they have other limitations, uh, in their attack, are they going to be able to manage that? I think that's a little bit of an open question still, but then again, they were creating a good number of chances. It's not like this was uh, a game in which they got absolutely clobbered, uh, on the field. And so, you know, that is that, uh, I'm not ready to say that there is sort of a, a, an Achilles heel in this Thorns team. Uh, but certainly you would be crazy if you, if you didn't take a look back at that game and say, Oh, maybe this team isn't sort of, you know, isn't quite the rock rolling downhill uh, that maybe we thought a week ago. Big moment in the game uh, was shortly after was just minutes after the sky blue went up two uh, zero on, on sort of that first counterattack and goal. Uh, Lindsay Horan scored. Uh, she, she headed in a, a cross from, Somebody who I'm now blanking on was it Allie Long. Now I'm totally blanking on this. Uh, it was it was flagged off for offside. Uh, what was your take on the replay of whether that goal was in fact offside? It, it would have made it two one uh, to Sky Blue in the 71st minute. I, th- I think it was, which obviously is a much much more competitive game state than three zero as it was uh, ultimately before Sinka put, put that penalty away. Uh, what do you think? Was Haran offside or should that goal have counted and made this one a little bit more competitive? I think it was really close uh, to the point where I, I feel like I still need to see more replays from more angles uh, to be sure on it. I, I didn't think it was offside. I think that's where I came down on is that I think it was a harsh call, um, but it was really, really close. The The call is, so as, as far as Haran herself, I actually think it's fairly clear that she was onside. Uh, and I actually think that for a lot of that play, and, and the reason why, if it was Haran herself being called offside, I, I think it's actually kind of a surprisingly wrong call because it's not, it wasn't an instance in which, you know, an, attack, an attacker and a defender were crossing, a defender was stepping up, and the attacker w- w- was going on the run. She was actually pretty clearly and pretty consistently onside throughout. Uh, much of the play and so that's why I I was I I don't think that that part of the call would have made sense the thorns though did have another runner and maybe yeah. this was even Ali Long I I I because I, I I didn't catch the game at the time I was sort of rushing through this uh but the thorns had another runner just behind the defender who was offside I think the argument there for passive offside is not very good uh, because it's not at all clear to me that the defender was sort of affected by the offside by the offside player. The goalkeeper certainly wasn't affected uh, by the offside player. Uh, whoever it was that, that I'm now blanking on that, that was stacked up just beyond the defender didn't touch the ball, uh, didn't uh, sort of have any other involvement in the play. Uh, and so I was a little bit surprised. Uh, I, I would be also surprised, I guess I should say, as my thoughts are becoming more disorganized as I'm trying to recall a name and having a senior moment. Uh, but I, I, I do not think there is a good argument either for sort of a passive offside call uh, on uh, that extra runner. And so, frankly, yeah, I, I think she was onside. But if there's any reason why there would have been some sort of eye confusion for the assistant referee, I think it would have been because of that, uh, that runner that was uh, offside. Um, okay. Thorns at spirit. That's Saturday at four o'clock. We, we do need to get into the injury report, which is <sighs> quite long. Um, okay. Injury report for the thorns. Let's start off with Nadia Nadim, who did not play in the game against the spirit. What is her status heading into the, or in the, against 
Ah, Sky Blue, what a disaster for me. Just an absolute shocker. <laughs> <laughs> what is her status going into the game at Washington? Yeah, it sounds like she had a minor hamstring injury that kept her out against Sky Blue, but she was not back in training day, but Parsons said they're just building her up slowly through the week, and she should be fine uh, and ready to play on Saturday. Fine and ready to play on Saturday uh, is the word for Nadia Nadim. Uh, how about Amandine Henri? Yeah, same thing. I mean, she, she I guess, has been dealing with a little bit of a tweak, and, and so I, I think they're just being cautious with her um in terms of building her up through the week but parson says she'll be fine and ready to go which i mean that's also a perfectly fair point uh, again with in, in the game against sky blue that i don't i think we neglected to make look i mean the thorns were dealing with some pretty significant injury issues uh and you know i mean you can make decent arguments uh that you know the, the that nadia nadim and amandine Henri are you know two of the maybe four or five most important players for the thorns have had this year uh, so that's that's notable. Uh, Mana Shem, what is her status heading into the Spirit game? Yeah, she's been back in training, so it, it looks like she's fine and ready to go. Uh, Catherine Reynolds, do we do do we have an updated timeline as to when we may see her uh, for the first time in like forever? I, I think Mark Parsons needs to try to not give uh, specific timelines because everything keeps changing. Um, but it's a couple weeks uh, still. So I, I'm just going to put that on. We'll see when she's back in training and then we can get a, a correct uh, timeline from there. Wait until you see the whites of her eyes. Uh, Megmo, what is uh, Meg Morris's uh, outlook looking like? I guess that's what outlooks do. They look like things. So they put um, her and all uh, just add in our last one. They put Morris and Tobin Heath on the 45 day disabled list last week. So um, th- those two are going to be out for a while. And, and that is that is not a good list uh, to be on. And it, it is certainly Tobin Heath has gotten the majority of the sort of talk when it comes to that. Uh, the word last week was basically we hope for the playoffs. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously you're looking at at least the next six weeks without both of them, uh, which gives the thorns a little bit of roster flexibility, but obviously not with them over the course of that period of time. Yeah. And I I think the thing, again, going back to sky blue, I mean, obviously Henri was in there, but you know, maybe dealing with a tweak. I, I heard that Ali long was dealing with the flu as well. Uh, so there, there were definitely players playing through uh, some some difficult situations and, and players not in the game uh, that you'd like in the game. And, and there's this injury list is consistently not great with a roster that doesn't allow much flexibility. Doesn't the NWSL roster size does not allow teams to have that many injuries. Um, obviously Sykes was in, but she's still you know working her way into the team. So I, I think if you look at the team they put out against sky blue, yes, I, I still think we expected, I mean, we clearly expected more out of the thorns in that game in, in terms of the result, but the thorns are dealing with a lot right now and they've been picking up results, but they have players that aren't hundred percent and they have players that are out um, that are important to the lineup. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they recover in Washington. Uh, Cause there is still a number of injuries, even though it does look like um, Nadim will be back maybe on Ree's, doing better even even though she's slowly into the week and uh, it looks like long uh, is doing fine right and I, I mean as to sort of to sort of wrap that that up I mean if you look at Nadine Nadim uh, Amandine Henri uh, you know you would certainly throw Tobin Heath in there if she'd been around at all uh, you know you look at the I mean those are three of easily the Thorns six or seven best players certainly the way Nadim has played over the course of the season that that has been very true this year uh, and and I mean when you've got one that was in my view, pretty clearly significantly limited uh, through the course of the game and did not look 100%. If you're saying that about Ali Long too, I mean, gosh, I mean, that's probably four of the Thorns' six or seven best players that are either out or limited. And, and you know, I mean, I think you're, that's totally fair to say that, that we still expected more from this team and maybe the Thorns should have still done better. But, gosh, I mean, is there a team in NWSL that you could so limit like that? that you could take away four of their six or seven best players or, or limit or take away four of their six or seven best players and, and expect them to put in sort of a characteristically, you know, dominant and good performance. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't think of a team li- like that in an NWSL. So, you know, they, I mean, it's, it's 
to me, it's sort of like the uh, the elevation thing with the Timbers in Colorado. Uh, it is unquestionably a relevant factor and, and even unquestionably a significant factor uh, for, for both of them. But nonetheless, even in light of that, you would have hoped that both of them would have, would have shown better than they did. Uh, going to the Spirit. This is a Spirit team that I think a lot of people going into the season, and certainly the first few weeks of the season, expected and were the, the worst team in the league uh, by some distance. They've looked like they've had a little bit of life more recently, though. They, they got a draw at the Red Stars last week, uh, a 1-1 draw. And just generally, since uh, Mal Pugh has come to the Spirit, has just looked like a better team. Uh, do you think it's fair to say, then, the, that the Spirit are less of a pushover now? Uh, that they have Pew, that, that they've been together for a while, and they've sort of righted the ship from from the off-season destruction, uh, that they're less of a pushover than maybe we expected at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I, I definitely think uh, you put Mal Pew into a group, and that's that's a game-changer, uh, especially for a team like the Spirit that was struggling so much. Now, she ha- she was injured last week. I don't think we are 100% sure on Mal Pugh's status for this weekend. Mark Parsons made it sound like they're preparing for her to be in uh, the lineup, but, but she was out last week with an injury. So, um, that could be a big, whether Pew plays or not could make a big difference in this game. I I think she's very important for Washington and very important for writing that ship. I I do not think they're the same team that they were at the beginning of the season. I I still think this is a winnable road game for the thorns. And particularly if Mal Pugh is not in there or is limited, um, either by minutes or, or just not up to completely full strength that clearly would be a benefit to the Thorns. But I mean, the, the fact that she didn't play at, at uh, Chicago, that they still got that result, um, and, and which is unquestionably a good result. I mean, you're talking about a Red Stars team that's second in the league right now, uh, going to Chicago and getting coming out of there with a 1-1 draw uh, is, is a really good result for a team that you were either, you know, that you'd otherwise think is you know, battling the Houston dash for the worst in the league uh, suggests to me that, that there's more going on than just a, than just sort of the Mal Pugh effect. And, and that this may be a matter of this team coming together and, and, and being a better team than we expected them to be even Pugh aside. I mean, look, they, it's easy to overstate this because they're still two, five and two, right? They still have nine points uh, or eight points. They're still sitting on uh, in, in eighth place in the league. And so, you know, I mean, it's easy to, to come in and, you know, don't interpret this as me saying, oh, I think they're a good team all of a sudden. But, you know, I mean, a, a team that a lot of people thought uh, was going to get clobbered by basically anybody in the top half of the table at the beginning of the season. I'm not sure that is necessarily uh, an accurate assumption anymore. Uh, I think part of that has to do with Pew, but I think part of it has to do with they're just a little bit better team than we expected. Uh, predictions. It is time for that. Timbers at Minnesota United. We've got three games to go, so let's go with all three of them. Timbers at MNU. What do you say? If the Timbers are going to ro- win a road game, for me, it's this one. Uh, given how Minnesota's been, uh, they've obviously been better at home, but they still, I believe, have at least three losses uh, at home this season. So I am going to predict that the Timbers can rebound. That that fire that Caleb's trying to light under his players is going to work, and, and they're going to get a 2-1 win. Uh, David Guzman is going to come back into the team and, and make a big difference by scoring a goal. Uh, so you're calling a 2-1 win. Uh, MNU has, you're right, been beaten at, at home a few times. They've been scored on uh, at home a, a few times as well. They've also scored some goals, and, and it's been kind of a mixed bag for them uh, up at the University of Minnesota. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and say it's a 2-2 draw. I do like the, the Timbers as a team uh, over Minnesota United. Uh, I do not like the Timbers, as we discussed, I do not like their ability to sort of pull off results uh, or to optimize results on the road. Uh, I think Sebastian Blanco is genuinely getting into form. I think we'll see a little bit more of him on the left uh, as opposed to on the right, where, which is where he was with Darlington Nagby previously. Uh, I So I think we'll see Blanco over there. I think he's going to get another goal in this game. And I think we're now going to start to see the production coming out of Blanco, which may be a very good sign for the, for the Timbers in the future. Thorns at Spirit. What do you, what's the word? What do you say? I am not certain if Mal Pugh is going to play. Um, I think, like I said, that will change the game. Um, even if the spirit are still a decent team without her. Um, but I do think that the thorns are a team that rebounds. They do not lose very often. Um, and they're going to have a lot of motivation to go to Washington and get the win. I'm going to predict a two zero thorns win. And Nadia Nadim is going to show how much she was missed against sky blue. She's going to get a brace. 
I think that's a that's a really nice uh, take on Nadim in particular because I do think she's a player that's been very good for the Thorns and that they missed very very much in that game uh, against Sky Blue. Uh, I am not going to say that this one's going to be quite as high scoring, which means I'm going to call it a one zero win for the Thorns. Uh, I do expect the defense to rebound. I, I think you, I thought you saw pretty three pretty like you know glaring mistakes from center backs. Uh, the first being Emily Sonnet on, on the first goal, uh, and then the the other two counters that they were unable to manage uh, that we haven't seen this year. And so I'm going to sort of choose uh, at this point to assume that that was an aberration and not a sort of long term uh, downturn in, in, in performance. Uh, so I think the Thorns defense is once again going to be nails as it has been through most of the season. And that Allie Long is going to get him the goal uh, to get all three points, and and I think to to maybe lower some blood pressure uh, after that loss to the uh, to, to Sky Blue on the weekend. Uh, Timbers versus Sounders Sunday. That is twelve thirty for the moment. Maybe a completely different time from that. Uh, regardless of the time, though, you got to predict a result. What is your that prediction? I'm being very optimistic this week, and and if these teams, if if the results turn out differently, I might have to be a bit more pessimistic next week. But I am going to, the Timbers have been good at home. Um, Despite the road woes, they have been good at home. And so I'm going to predict a Timbers 1-0 win over the Sounders, and it's going to be Diego Valeri uh, that gets that game winner. Timbers 1-0 with a Valeri game winner over the Sounders. That would certainly be uh, a dramatic day, a fun day at Providence Park. I'm going to say the Timbers are going to have a little bit more fun in this game. I'm going to go 3-1 uh, in their win over the Sounders. I, I just think this is the kind of game uh, that the Timbers uh, pretty consistently come in and, and give a good performance at home against the Sounders. Uh, I think there, there will be some frustration uh, coming back uh, on the road, and the Timbers, when they get home after something like that, generally do a good job of coming in and sort of taking out their frustration uh, on the next team that is unfortunate enough to come into uh, Providence Park. So I think it's going to be 3-1 Timbers over the Sounders. It'll be a really fun day at Providence Park, uh, and especially for Dyrona Spria, who is going to uh, take some of that good work that he's put in, a little bit of a mixed bag in Colorado, but put take some of that good work that he's put in over the course uh, of the last few weeks and get a goal out of it. Uh, fantasy update now as we close up uh, shop here in third place is Victorious Secret FC, not Victorious, but Victorious Secret. That's Christian with 1,490 points. I like the name. I like the new uh, spot in the top three. Second place is Beer City FC. That's Benjamin with 1,508. Uh, And in first, and opening up a little bit more of a gap from last week, is Aaron. That is Big Hearts Brass Balls uh, up in the top spot uh, in in number one. I moved up from 30th all the way up to 29th. uh, And Jamie Goldberg remains with zero points in dead last. Uh, we are Soccer Main Portland. You can find us every week on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. Uh, if you want to subscribe, you can do that on iTunes and Stitcher, and then you get the automatic download. It, it just makes your life so lovely. Uh, but in any event, thank you for your questions. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy all the soccer in the week to come. Uh, got some on Wednesday. Got some on Saturday. Got some on Sunday. I hope you don't have any family obligations because that's an awful lot of soccer to watch uh, over the course of the next few days. Uh, we'll be back next week to recap all of it. And then look forward to, you know, a whole new batch of soccer after that. Uh, Until then, uh, enjoy the games. uh, Enjoy the beautiful, albeit kind of hot weather. uh, And as always, take care.